0: Morning. You know this. This is an auto-darkening hood, a helmet, a welding helmet, and it actually changes. uh, It it lets light through. Anyway, I'm not a scientist, but it's super amazing. Um, I wanted to use this as an illustration uh, because I thought this fit really well. Um, This is a we call it a welding helmet. People who use it call it a hood. And it's used to protect your eyes uh, from burning metal that's so bright. I think one guy told me it's like brighter than the sun, like if you were to stare at the sun. Of course, if you got close to the sun, that'd probably be brighter. But uh, it's really bright, and, um, and it can blind you and all that. And this helmet, the way that they shape it, it's also used to protect your, your face and your head. Uh, because not just your eyes, but the rest of your body needs to be uh, protected. And uh, this is a good illustration for what we're going to talk about today. I also brought some other things just in case uh, you're not all welders, which I know is unlikely. Um, I brought this uh, sunscreen my wife uses. Uh, Men aren't allowed to use this, I guess. We we never use this. But uh, sunscreen blocks UV rays from, like, damaging your skin. Um, and it's like a extra thin layer. It helps you, you know, with your skin. Uh, there's also this, uh, this mask. Um, I'm not going to put it on, although I'd probably sound like Darth Vader if I tried to put it on. Uh, is Paul Friesen. Sorry, I just put my nose on it. He'll clean it. Uh, it's, it's used to block dust particles and other things from, from you breathing it in, from, from getting in your lungs, and so you have this mask. it, it Shield your uh, your mouth, and then this I probably played with more than anything else this week in my office. Uh, These earmuffs I've never had a pair like this, Um, but it's amazing. I I can hardly hear myself right now. These are unreal at how much noise they block out. I actually put these on in the office just to test this out because I knew I wanted to use these things, and uh, I was sitting there and I was like typing away. I felt super focused. I was like, I need to buy me a pair so I can actually get work done. I never get work done, but with these on, I feel like I can focus. But uh, I, I brought all these because what, what is the one thing that these all have in common? Protection. protection. They're all used uh, for protection. Now imagine if I tried to weld some metal and put it together and I didn't have the helmet on. What would happen to me? I could go blind. I'm going to burn my retina. I could burn my skin from the hot metal. You guys have gotten skin cancer based on the hot metal that have hit their face. You can get, all, you could get cataracts, even if it's not shielding enough light. This is very important. If I were not to use this, I would put myself in danger. I need this for protection if I'm in a weld. And in one sense, there is a way in which all of us may be doing that. There is a sense in which any one of us could be doing things in life, could be going about our life and not using the, the right gear, the right protection uh, that keeps us safe. Um, just imagine if you were, uh, you were at a football game and you're in the stands and football players are out there, and there's 21 guys on the field. They all have pads and helmets on, and then a coach sends out one more guy out there in the field with no pads and no helmet. What would you think? Surely, yeah, trick play. Yeah, some people actually know football. Anyway, yeah, they, they, might, yeah, they, they might get a, a, a score or whatever. Anyway, uh, no, you would be worried about that kid. No mom or coach would ever do that. God warns us in the Scriptures, telling us that we may be doing that very thing in our lives. That we may not be protected. We may not be utilizing the protections that God has given us um, for for our own good. And so, we're going to be in Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, if you're newer with us and you haven't been here uh, in in the series... We're going through the, the letter of Titus that Paul wrote to Titus. And we've talked about how it began. We talked about the leaders, biblically qualified leaders that God has brought about. And we went over the characteristics of, of these leaders and how this is really a measure for mature Christianity. This isn't just for elders. This is for every believer in the church should be aspiring to these things. Um, and, uh, and we saw in Titus chapter 1... Verse 7, after giving the character sketch, I'll begin at verse 7 and then I'll continue in verse 9. Paul says, as an overseer of God's household, he gives some characteristics of them, holding to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. So far, we've been looking at Titus. In verse 9, Paul introduces this idea that God has given us elders to protect the church. And it's one of four functions of the, the elders in the church, but these overlap with the home. This overlaps with the principles of a home. So just as God gave elders to the church, he gave parents to the home. That mom and dad are meant to do these things in particular ways. And so elders have four primary functions. Uh, and, and I don't know if you know them, but I'll summarize them. Some say three, some say five. They're really, you could say them all in these four. If you look at the New Testament, why did God give us pastors, elders, bishops, overseers? They're all the same office. Why did he give them to us for four main functions, four reasons? To lead, feed, protect, and love. If you take all the verses in the New Testament that are given about what pastor, elders, bishops, overseers, what they do, they lead, feed, protect, and love. And in these verses, particularly in verse 9, it really highlights two of those functions. Now, they're all kind of mixed in there, but two of them are highlighted, and that's feed and protect. You know, they lead, they're overseers. We saw that in verse 5. They feed, that's the word of God, they encourage with sound teaching, and they protect, they protect from enemies of the church that are going to come in and share lies and mislead people, distort the truth, and then they love, they, they minister, they care. And so God gave us these elders to uh, protect us, and they're called by God in this verse to do two things, to encourage the church with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it, that feed and protect, to, to feed and protect. And uh, I, think, I think John Calvin wrote it really well. He said, a pastor needs to have two voices, one for gathering the sheep and the other for driving away wolves and thieves. And as I, as I thought about this passage, I, I really kept f- focusing on these earmuffs. Don't you wish, don't you wish that there was a product on the market, uh, a set of earmuffs that had lie-canceling technology. Wouldn't that be amazing? Like you could just put it on and you heard no lies. You, anything someone said, like, like you could be talking in conversation uh, with someone and then you put these on, you can hear what they're saying, but as soon as they say something that would mislead you away from the truth, it's like they go mute. It's like the mute button comes on. Now, these would not sell very well in the world because then you could never watch the news. Uh, you could never, you could never, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, try- I'm not getting any friends with that actually, but uh, it's a joke. Uh, but you, you get the feeling, you know, like you, There, there's certain times where, where this would just totally block certain people, certain things out. You just, you just wouldn't be able to hear it. Uh, I wish I could give these to my kids. I actually thought about um, some lies that we need to be protected from. Um, and these are some of my own, so if these are not yours, no worries. Um, Have you ever believed in a lie? There's a good chance you have. Here are some of the lies that I've been faced with that that I've experienced. Lies like this. Hey, just try this. It will make you really happy. Don't worry if you feel a little nervous about it. Just try it. Or just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Whatever your heart wants, it's got to be good, right? It's helped the world, see how they're doing. Follow your heart. Or, a little more serious, lies like, she doesn't respect you. He doesn't love you. God doesn't care. You're all alone. Or lies like, there's no hope. It's better to give up. This is never going to change. Or, the oldest lie ever told did God really say? You know the Bible's outdated, right? It's just not culturally relevant. It's, it's old. That, that truth in the Scriptures that was passed on and given to us to have until Jesus returns, that truth doesn't really apply anymore. Have you ever heard any of those lies? Have you ever believed one of those lies? God designed it that we would be protected from the lies of the enemy. And just like you don't want to go to a particular task without the right protection on, God wants you to know and embrace and utilize the protections He's given you, and we see that here in this passage. So that's what I want to outline, and God's first line of defense is preserving the message. His first line of defense is actually just his word in verse nine, holding to the faithful message as taught, so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. Uh, holding to the faithful message. This this word for holding means to strongly cling to. Um, maybe you get the image in your mind um, if you've ever seen uh, a partic- uh, if you've ever been around family where someone's trying to take a kid from a mom, for good reasons, good reasons, but they are like, you're trying to pass your kid on to childcare, and the kid just doubles down, grabs the mom's hair, screams and fights, will not let go, no, no, don't let me go, and they just cling to their parent because they don't want to be without them. That's the picture. Clinging on to dear life. Or, if you've ever been on a 16-foot ladder... (laughs) and you're afraid of heights like I am, and your pastor friends say, "Oh, it's fine, it's sturdy, and then you climb up halfway, and then all of a sudden your legs don't work, and you just cling onto the ladder like, I will never let go. That kind of cling, that desire, that's what that verb means, to cling on to, to, to holding, holding fast or holding to the faithful message um, so that he'll be able to encourage and refute. This means that we need to preserve the message Elders do this in the church. Parents do this in the home. Mom and dad are meant to do this in the home. You have to preserve the message. You have to keep the Bible for what it really is. You got to keep the truth, keep the gospel truth. You have to hold faithfully to it because it's faithful and you have to know what it means and what it doesn't mean. You have to be able to encourage people with sound teaching or healthy teaching. You got to be able to say this is what it means and you have to know what it doesn't mean. So when there's Lies, you have basically mom and dad. You are like the earmuffs for your kids in your home. Elders, you are this in the church. You're meant to be this in the church. All of us need to participate in this, and we'll get to that. But we have to protect the message, preserve the message. And why is the preservation necessary? Because he says in verse 10, For there are many rebellious people, full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision." We talked about this a few weeks ago, but there are many. So it startled me the first time I recognized this word. It's really in the passage. This is not a small problem. This is not a rare peripheral occasion. This isn't something that happens sometimes in some places. There are a multitude. There are many. Some people even go as far as say there's a majority. I don't think the word many always means majority because it doesn't in context, but the idea is there's a lot of this, and you need to pay attention to it. This is not a small matter. There are many rebellious people, and that word for rebel means they're not going to be subject to God's authority. They want to be the authority. They want to be the ones telling you what's right and what's wrong, and they're not going to be subject to whoever God's put in authority. No, bre- no thank you, no bueno. I, I want it my way, and they will be rebellious. And this is not just a personal choice. You know, the world says about these things, oh, that's their personal life. As long as what they do in public, that's what really matters. Who cares what goes on in their personal affair? Or don't get mixed into that. Don't pay attention to that. No, this rebellion is, is not just a personal choice. They share it with others. That's why it says, full of empty talk. It's got a lot of vain empty talking, which means they share these ideas, but it's of no good to you. It's not going to help you move forward. It's not going to help you. It's not gonna get you closer to God. It's not going to help you love your family. It's not going to help you be disciplined in, in habits of grace and doing what God has called you to do. It's not going to help you in ministry. It's going pers- to ever so slightly detract you from what God wants. They're full of empty talk, and their ideas and opinions are not harmless. You know, I, I like to say rebellion is contagious. Um, they deceive people with it, full of empty talk and deception. And the word deception is only used here in the whole New Testament, but the word means they mislead people from the church, it, or truth. It, this word is used outside of the Bible during this time in other ways, but it, it leads people away from the, tr- from the truth, even if it's subtle. Uh, and the lies, or what, Paul calls here the empty talk and deception. There are going to be many, and some are going to be popular. What he's saying is, there's many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception. This is going to be a problem for the church. This is going to be a problem in your home. This is going to affect you and your personal life. There's many, and some of these ideas are going to be widely popular. They're going to have a following. They're going to have support. It's going to be uh, a famous YouTuber or Uh, athlete, or Hollywood star, or somebody. This is going to become popular. These lies and deceptions are going to have weight to them because there's going to be many people following this way. And in Paul and Titus's context, they were especially dealing with Jews who were teaching that you had to follow the law law of Moses uh, to be fully devoted. That's why he says, Especially from those of the circumcision party. If you're new at a church and you're like, "What's a circumcision party?" does not sound like a party I want to go to. I don't want to go to that party. It's just it's a it's a group of what the New Testament calls Judaizers. And here's how subtle these false teachers were. They were Jews that claimed that Jesus was the Messiah. They would say, "Jesus is the Messiah. Yes, Jesus is great." Yes, he's the one, but also we can't ignore the Old Testament, obviously, and the law of Moses that we've been following for 1500 years. We got to follow that. And so we have to stick with the only Bible we know at the time. We got to stick with the Old Testament. It's not just Jesus. You have to follow his law. And guess what? His law says you got to become Jewish. You got to be circumcised. You got to follow the law. You got to do these commandments. Um, I want to show you them in the book of Acts so you know I'm not exaggerating. This was a huge problem for them, and, and it's actually a huge problem now. It's just not, it's under a different guise than Judaism. Uh, but look in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, if you learn the context of this passage, these are Jesus-following Jews, they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They're totally within the group, but they say you've also got to be circumcised. You've also got to follow the law in order to be saved. And the idea is this, is this is present in our day-to-day, and what we call it is works-based salvation. You've got to do certain things to be saved, to be really right with God. I mean, there's denominations right now in this town that say you have to be baptized in order to be saved you got to be baptized. Why do they say that? Well, because it's a, it's a law. It's like, it's the law. I mean, it says it right there in Scripture. That's what these Jews were saying. You can open the law of Moses. You can see it in there. This is God's design. They didn't understand the good news of who Jesus was and what He did in the new covenant that He brought. They were still trying to live under the old covenant, and what they did to try to compromise is mix the two. You can have Jesus as long as you have our law and our tradition. And you know what? You can't take Jesus with anything else. He fills the whole bucket. You either take him or you don't have him at all. You can't have Jesus plus anything equals a false religion. It's a work-based religion. And this this is even present in our community. This is present in this community, in our church. There are temptations and leanings we have toward things that are preferences or traditions of men that we take as law. And they're no good because it distracts people from the gospel. It confuses people that they don't know what the truth is. That is a problem for Paul. That's why he's telling Titus, you got to be careful of this. There's lots of Jewish uh, Jewish converts in Crete that came from, and we read it last time out of Acts chapter 2, they came from Crete. They came back with the gospel. They got saved. The fiery tongues, the whole Pentecostal, move, or Pentecostal movement, uh, they received all that. But now they're saying you still have to follow the law because Human beings love tradition. It makes us feel safe. It makes us feel right. It's void of feeling, we think. It really is more about feeling than people admit. They just don't know it. You think it voids feeling and it just sets upon custom and facts and rules, but it's not. It's our own way of creating a works-based righteousness that falls short every time. So, Paul's telling them, this is not going to be good for you. Because you can't have Jesus plus anything. None of us, not one of us is too good for hell and not one of us is good enough for heaven. And that's just the truth. We can't make ourselves good enough for God. God is happy to save you. He rejoices in salvation. He wants you to repent and believe in him. He wants that. But if you try to get there your own way, just like the Tower of Babel, you're going to end up falling short. You can't get to God your own way. You come on Jesus' terms or you don't come at all. You have to know what the gospel says. The good news is it's repentance and faith, not by works so that nobody can boast. It is by grace through faith. That is the salvation that has been handed down to us. And and religion messes that up. And when I say religion, I know even we are religious in the sense, I mean in the negative sense, any kind of works-based righteousness messes it up. And, um, and so we got to preserve the message. We have to preserve the message because, if, because the truth is the only thing we have to protect us from the lies, and if we distort the truth, we lose that protection. But we've also got to protect ourselves. I want, I want you to listen to what Paul told Timothy. This is another letter to another young pastor, but very similar to his letter to Titus, his letter to Timothy. In 1 Timothy 4.16, he tells Timothy... Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, I've read this verse many times, and honestly, I have read this before unintentionally missing the first part of the verse. It says, pay close attention to your life. Now, none of us would even bat an eye if this were written differently. If it said, pay close attention to your teaching, persevere in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. We would amen to that. You would think that Paul telling Timothy, hey... Pay attention to what you teach. Teaching is so significant in the church, it is. This is what people are going to be led either astray or to God by. You pay close attention to your teaching because this is what's going to deliver people from the lies. This is what's going to protect them from the lies. You will save yourself and your hearers. Now, he's not saying you're going to save like eternal salvation, save yourself and your hearers. The idea is you're going to save yourself from the mess of uh, false teaching and lies and distortions of the truth. You're going to save yourself from those things and your hearers if you persevere in these things. So, he says, pay close attention to your life. It begins with you knowing your own life and evaluating your own life. Your life has to match what God has said. Um, Paul knew from experience that every believer, every Christian, including the elders, would need protection from the lies of the enemy. And sometimes those attacks came from well-meaning, good Christian religious folks. Uh, This is why he warned all the elders and pastors in Miletus. Be on guard for yourselves. We read this earlier in Acts chapter 20. He's talking to elders, pastors, the same thing. Be on guard for yourselves. He first says, guard yourself. Just like he tells Timothy, pay close attention to your life. Guard yourself. And for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. He purchased them with his own blood, meaning they're saved. Now listen, this is important. What Paul is saying is, we may be saved, but we're not safe. We might be saved, but that doesn't mean we're safe. Now, he's not saying live in fear. That's a wrong response. He's saying pay close attention, understand what you're doing, know yourselves, guard yourselves. So, you know, if you've ever walked into a factory, and you go in, and everyone's got still-toed boots on. They got gloves on. They got the goggles on. They got the helmets on. There's tape on the ground telling people, don't pass this line. Be careful what you go. There's a process and a policy to how you do certain things. Some of us might say, man, that's a lot of trouble. I bet they're wasting a lot of time doing that. They might be taking up more time, but they're saving lives. So what Paul is saying, be careful be discerning you are not safe from the enemy. You may be saved. God loves you. He can protect you, but you have to know you're in a battle. That's why he tells us to put on the armor of God. We're in a spiritual war. There's warfare going on all around. And so protect yourselves. It's not just preserve the message, but also protect yourselves. And here's the bottom line. We have to participate in our own protection. So in Hebrews chapter 3, I don't have this on the screen, it talks about uh, be careful with your life. I think it's uh, 3, 12 through 15. Uh, Make sure that you don't have an unbelieving evil heart within you. Make sure that you encourage one another. Make sure you focus on the truth. Pay attention to yourselves. Pay attention to your life. Protect yourselves. Uh, And so here's the question. Here's the question for me. Am I paying attention to my life? Um, Am I living what I know is true? This is why, in your outline, if you received a bulletin at the door, we call it a program. Uh, Another church calls it the Welcome Guide. It's got about 40 different names. But that piece of paper we gave you when you walked in, on the back of that, it has an outline and it's it's divided up into three sections. At the top, it says, What's true in the Bible? That's the sermon. Then underneath the sermon, after the sermon, when you go home, what's real in your life? You can know what's true in the Bible and it might not make a bit of difference in your life. You have to apply God's Word in your life. And then it says, what's next at the very bottom? If this is true in the Bible and you know you're not perfect in your life, what's real in your life, then what's your next step to humbly, joyfully submit to God's word and following him better, what's next in your life. That's why we do that with the program. That's why we have those questions at the end. That's why we divide it that way. And so you have to know yourself. So when Paul tells Timothy, pay attention to yourself, when he tells the other elders in Acts 20, be on guard for yourselves, he tells them that first, you have to know what your temptations are. Every one of us has temptations, right? And I know this is unique for me. I stand up here and I sometimes share with you my real temptations and sins. Most of you will never have to do that. No one's asking you to get on stage, to be in public and say, here's what I am tempted by, here's what I fail at. You guys are not asked to come and publicly do that. But you need to do it with somebody. You need to have Christian community around you so that you're being honest with them and they know what's really going on. A man who's not accountable, a woman who's not accountable that doesn't have people around them, they are in danger. It's like they're trying to weld without a hood on. They are not going to be protected. Part of God's protection is that we know our temptations, we have accountability, we have prayer in our lives, we, we know the word, we preserve the message in our own life. Do you spend time out of your day reading God's Word and trying to seek out what has God said. What, what does He mean? What does this mean? Do you read the Scriptures? Do you study the Bible? That is God's intention for you to, protect, to preserve the message and to protect yourself. So we need to have a clear view of Scripture and we have to have a humble view of ourselves. So elder pastors were called to preserve the message and protect themselves and they were called to guard the church. And for parents, this is guard your home. Uh, These parallels are meant to be there. God designed the church and the home in similar fashion with leadership and authority and care. And so just like elders are called to lead, feed, protect, and love, so are mom and dad called to lead, feed, protect, and love. So there's meant to be similarities there. These principles overlap, and God intends that. You see that in the Scripture as it talks about the home and it talks about the church. So guard the church as part of the protection God has given us. Also, this is true in the home. So, Paul tells them, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. The flock is the church. We're all sheep and goats in here, of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And then Paul says this I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. That word for savage, they're not harmless. These are wolves with teeth. They're going to be relentless, right? You're not going to go to a savage wolf and say, hey, you know what? I just feel like these are good people. You know what I mean? And if you could just leave us alone, we, we just love God. We don't want all that false teaching. A savage wolf isn't going to be like, oh, I'm sorry. Let me go on to the next town, right? That's not how savage wolves work. That word savage means they are relentless. They will not stop coming. And they're wolves. The word for wolf is just the word for wolf, but Jesus uses this term to talk about false teachers. There's, I'm sending you as sheep among wolves. There are going to be people that try to attack God's word. That's why we have to preserve it. And try to distort the truth and, and mislead us into believing what they want. That's where the protecting ourselves comes in. And we need adults, we need leaders, we need men. We, we need moms. We need those that God has put in authority to help lead and protect those under them. Uh, we need that. So he says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. You're not going to persuade them to leave. Imagine if someone just put honey all over themselves and came up to a bear and said, hey, just, just leave us alone, right? The bear loves that guy in a different way than, you know, a shepherd would, uh, it's, that's not going to work. That's that's not going to work. They're going to be savage wolves. And then he says in verse 30, "Men will rise up even from your own number, and distort the truth, and lure the disciples into following them." I've got bad news. It's going to be it's going to be people within the church family. This isn't those people out there. These aren't the televangelists. These aren't like the crazy, awkward, outside, outlying you know, people that are preaching something we know, is there's going to be people from within the church that distort the the truth. They just ever so slightly turn it. Why? Because they don't want what whoever's preaching to happen. They want what they want. They want to distort it. Why? So they can get people to follow them. I want you to see it my way. I want you to follow my truth. I want you to understand the gospel in this sense. I want to move you away from the authority God has given and the protections He's given, and I want you to follow me. So uh, some of them are going to be from within the the church, and they will divide a church. Uh, So he says, turn back to Titus 1. So verse 10, there's many of these people. Verse 11, it is necessary to silence them. Uh, Silence, that word for silence, can mean bridle or muzzle. The idea is it is needed that we silence them. Now, this is not a mafia hit call, right? There, I want you to know there are some people in church history that has taken this verse and say, we got to silence them, and I kid you not, they drowned them because they call them foul. That's a, this real, just in the last 500 years this happened. They drown people that disagree with them theologically. They kill them, and they say, hey, we're silence them. This word for silence clearly means you silence them with the truth. That's why in verse 9, it talks about uh, encouraging with sound teaching and refute those who contradict it. You want to refute them uh, through teaching, through, through words. And so you silence them. Why? Because they're ruining entire households. That word for ruining means to upset, like to turn over. They're turning households upside down. And households could be house churches, or they could be families. And you guys can imagine this. Have you ever seen, um, have you ever known a family where it's a good family, you know, they love each other, they have good relationships, and then one of the kids grows up, and then out of left field, you never saw it coming, they start hanging around the wrong people, and they start getting the wrong idea about God. Maybe they deconstruct their faith, as they call it, or they do something else. In any case, they turn away from the, church, the truth. They, they turn away from what's taught in the scriptures. And, and if you've ever talked to one of those moms and dads, they are desperate. They are discouraged. They get on their hands and knees almost every day. Their prayer life has increased. They want their son or daughter to know the truth. They want them to walk with the Lord, and they're just so upset. That's the image of ruining entire households. Even families have been ruined by people that have walked away from the faith. And it's not just families. These could be house churches like in Crete. You know, they might have had those. These house churches, they've ruined whole churches. Do you know that this church can be ruined in one season through false teachers? One season. That's all it takes. Men from our own number that rise up and just ever so slightly distort the truth for their preferences, their way, their culture, their customs, their traditions, whatever you want to call it, they can distort it to where all of a sudden this house is divided. It's turned upside down and people are just walking away because they're thinking, I know that this is not the work of the Holy Spirit and it's dividing, it's divisive. That can happen, Paul knew it, he warned them, he's warning us, there are many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception. This is not a small problem, this is ruining entire households. And how are they doing it? By teaching what they shouldn't in order to gain money dishonestly. Now, I, I really grieve at this translation. There's a word for money and this is not it. This doesn't even use the word money, I don't know why the CSB uses money. This is the word for gain all it, all it says literally is they, they, they teach what they shouldn't in order for dishonest gain. It doesn't have to be money. It could be, so the idea isn't, oh, that person can't be a false teacher because no one's paying them. That's not true. False teachers cannot get paid. You can have a false teacher that is going against the truth. And so it's, it's dishonest gain. And, and I grieve that they translated it money, but they did. But it's not just money. Uh, verse 12 one of their very own prophets said, "Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons." right? This is like the, the high school, uh, the, the, the picture book, the little quotes underneath the seniors. right? No one would want this quote. This pre- always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Um, a, lot of, a lot of people have attributed this to Epimenides, um, he was a prophet, a, a spiritual teacher, he was known; he was respected as a prophet, he was a religious guy, and he was around the 600 BC, between the 6th and 7th century BC, and he was really well known. Uh, uh, Plato called him a divine man, which Plato was pretty big back then. Aristotle said he had supernatural insight into the obscure. Uh, Plutarch called him one of the seven wise men of Greece, one of the seven smartest men ever. Uh, so this guy was, was really wise, and he was from the island of Crete. And he said about his own people, Cretans are always liars. It, it, it was so true for people back then that they turned the word Crete and Cretan into a verb form. We would think of it like to Cretanize. It means to lie or distort, to mislead people from the truth. Um, and then he called them evil beasts, lazy gluttons. You want to know what's interesting about the island of Crete? On this island, I think we talked about this, how wide and long it's really narrow. It's the the largest of the Greek islands. But it was known for not having any wild animals on the island, any wild beasts that can harm you because they took care of all those. The people that populated the island, the Cretans took care of them. And so it was known for not having wild animals, wild beasts that can harm you, which puts a whole twist on this phrase. The Cretans are so fleshly and immoral they take the place of wild beasts. They give into their flesh just whatever they want. Um, The only way I could illustrate this is with America today. There are certain groups and places in America today where all they do is satisfy their desires. Just wanton pleasure it's called, just immoral pleasures. They're evil beasts, lazy gluttons. They just give into their flesh and they're lazy gluttons lazy is bad enough lazy glutton is the worst they're just these people that are like whatever I can feed myself I don't want to work I don't want to do what I was created to do I just want I'm a lover of pleasure as Paul would write in a different passage a lover of pleasure and so so Paul says this testimony is true ouch he's like this is true about the people you're how would you feel if God called you into ministry and he's like hey I got this place you're going to go to. You're going to love it. It's going to be really hard. There's going to be many rebellious people. They're going to try to fight you the whole way. And uh, some guy has said that they're all liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And that's true. That's the people God has called you to love and minister to. So Paul Paul is telling Titus, you need to know the reality of the people you're reaching. What's really wonderful about this is that means that the gospel is not too far from any culture. It's not too weak for any culture that God desires to save every people, every nation, every tongue, every tribe. And no matter how evil they are, he still sends ministers to go minister to them because he loves them and wants to save them. Um, it's so good. Anyway, the testimony is true. For this reason, rebuke them sharply. The word rebuke is the same word as refute in verse 9. Rebuke them sharply. This means harshly. They're going to be against you. You're going to have to talk with some, some, some oomph behind your voice. This is not going to be like in Judea where you can like reason with the people on the street. This is going to be a hard island that you're going to work on. These people are totally against the truth. You're going to have to rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith. The idea is not to burn them at the stake. It's not to attack them and to demonize them. It's to help them, to save them, that they may be sound in the faith, a healthy faith, so that they may know the truth, that the truth can set them free, and that they may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of people who reject them. So there's a reason behind all this. And then he says, a lot of people mislead, I think this is the most uh, misunderstood verse in this passage, in verse 15, to the pure everything is pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. What does he mean by that? Now, in a lot of translations, they translate the word pure as pure. It's mostly translated as the word clean, in the English word clean. Now, he's using Jewish myths, the circumcision party, all this language from the Old Testament. He's saying to those who are clean, everything is clean. What does he mean? That if, that if you're a good believer that everything you do is right? No, that's not what it means. Um, I like to think of it this way as an illustration. Uh, when my kids play outside in the dirt, we love it. It's fun. They get outside in the dirt. I have one son that used to do like, you know, dirt angels in the dirt. They get all dirty and it's just great. We love it. It's so fun. But once they come inside the house, we er, stop them, right, at the door. Don't you step one more foot in this house. I Undress. I want you to get your pants off, your shirt off, take everything. And when they're young, it's a lot easier. When they get older, it's a little weird. But anyway, take your clothes off. I want you to put them in the laundry room. Don't you become... Take your dirty shoes off. Why? Because if you're unclean, if you're dirty, you get everything else dirty. What Paul is saying is people that distort the truth, they have it set in their mind, something that's opposed to the truth. Everything else is... Dirty too. It will lead them astray. This is why you have denominations that once they start distorting the truth, they just keep going. Right? They they don't stop. It's not just well, let's just love each other and be fine. Then it's well, it's it's okay. They're wrong. And then it's like oh, it's not a sin, and, and let's have them as our bishops and our pastors and our ministers. And then let's embrace all sin. And you know what? Let's forget the Bible altogether. It's outdated. They keep going in that trajectory because once you distort the gospel truth, once you go against the authority that God has given for the church, everything else is going to be muddied up and dirty. So to those who are clean, and Jesus used this word as clean when he talks about uh, washing their feet, it's, it's the word for clean mostly. Uh, when you're clean, you're not going to get anything else dirty. But if you're dirty, everything you touch is going to get dirty. And, and that's the idea. Um, and then in verse 16, they claim to know God but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. They claim to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They will say they love God, they love the church, they love you, they love the law. Think of these Judaizers. I love the law so much, at least I'm following it. They will say, I love the Bible, and I love the church, and I love God, and all this, but their very actions create division pull people away from what's right. They cause distortion. They will lead people. They will try to lead, and they'll be successful. They will lead people to try to see things their way. And um, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is what every church faces. You can read the book of Revelation. Jesus' last words to the church are in uh, chapters 2 and 3. This is his last message to the church. It's all warnings. He warns them that this is going to happen and this is going to face all of you and if, if you're unhealthy, you're, you're going to die. Your church is going to die. People are going to be divided. People are going to run away. The, the Holy Spirit, He's going to remove His lampstand. It's not going to survive. So pay close attention. Don't take this lightly that God wants you to protect the church, to protect your family, to preserve the Word, to protect yourself. Uh, this is life or death kind of stuff and it matters to God because He loves the church. I'm going to send you guys out through prayer, and I want you to pray for me. Right now, we're in the middle of trying to seek God's discernment and direction in elders in our church, which is what Titus emphasizes, this idea of of proper leadership. Let's pray for our church and for ourselves and our homes uh, together. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the relationship Paul had with Titus and Timothy and, and the way that he was able to teach and lead. I thank you for your inspired word, which is is infallible, it's inerrant, It, it, it opens the door for us to see you for who you truly are, to understand the truth. We thank you for your word. Would you help us as a church family to preserve the message, to protect ourselves, to guard the flock? Would you help the parents in this room, moms and dad, that you would help them, that you would urge them, that you would wake them up that you would please wake up the church uh, to what's going on in our own community, even in our own church, that we would preserve your word. I pray for elders in our church that you would raise up godly, biblically qualified men that you are calling to unify us and to follow the truth. You are the good shepherd. You are the king. You are the Lord. We give this all into your hands, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.